Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Salty Pastor Podcast, a podcast made for you. We're here to help you discover your purpose as you live according to the way of Jesus. We want to help provide clarity on why the world is the way it is. And finally, we want to help you build confidence that you are living out and sharing the best way to be human on earth with your friends and family. Pastor Doug has spent his whole life researching and engaging with the world to help followers better understand the world around them and to better communicate the hope of Jesus. I'm Jesse Mayer. I'll be your host. And without further ado, please welcome the Salty Pastor himself, Dr. Douglas Peak. Welcome on how to be a better human. Is that is that a better is? human? A better how to human better? How to human better? So wow, humaning better. I think people are really struggling with that right now. That's why we're doing this series on First John because it's all about uh, senselessness of life. So many people have senselessness in their relationships, in their purpose in life, and their why things are happening to them in the way that they are. Uh, people have high expectations of life, and those things don't get met. And so all this confusion is due to a lack of clarity on who we are, why we're here, and what's the point and purpose of life in the grand scheme of things. And even though we all lack clarity at times, it's really important to kind of uh, look at the specific things that we believe that either add or subtract to the clarity in our life. So that's why we're doing this series. Well, and I think it's also important to note for those of you watching on YouTube, we are in our brand new video studio. It's 90% mm -hmm. complete. We've got this nice mountain range behind us. We've got all kinds of ba -bam. cool stuff. You can see us up close and personal now. Mm -hmm. So if we've got something on our face, then you're going to know it at this point. So oh my. Um, if you are watching on YouTube, here's a new experience for you. If you're listening to the podcast, it's the straight, same great audio experience you've had and known for a while now so for all you audiophiles audiophiles well let's get started um i just think it's been crazy how senseless people have been living in the world these days we're yeah. we're we're isolated we're alone there's no direction people are hating life i mean really honestly covid just revealed something that was mm -hmm. happening but mm -hmm. in during these covid times people were quarantining they were realizing they really are alone. They don't have a purpose. And so yeah. when they're stuck in home and they can't be out partying or or filling the void with other things, yeah. they suddenly realized, I don't know what I'm doing with my life. Mm -hmm. And I'm just mm -hmm. so depressed. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, we're seeing marriages fall apart because people yeah. have no idea how to stay in love primarily because mm -hmm. they have no meaning in their lives. They're, right. they're trying to fill a hole, so they put a person in there, and that's mm -hmm. not what the hole really is. <laughs> and that never works. That's not the right thing, right? Mm -hmm. So I'd like to spend some time today kind of talking about the, the, the connection between the large uh, societal ideas and how it affects the individuals um, that are living in the world today. You want practicality. Give me some practicality, <laughs> Dr. Douglas Okay, Peake. here you go. Well, when life doesn't make sense, it sucks. Is All right, let's just, let's just wrap it up for the day. I think that's uh, I think that's it for it. Welcome. Thank you for coming to the Salty Pastor. There you go. Well, you know, the senselessness of life that so many people run into at some point, because you will be challenged by it, you know, um... Uh, I know a guy, I call him John, he went to college, he started a career, and he was really disappointed and had a senselessness about what he was supposed to do with himself. Mm. And he really struggled in that way. Uh, I can't tell you how many um, women in their uh, late 20s and early 30s are just extremely unhappy 
Uh, because, you know, it's like, well, I went to college, I had a good job, I got married, and I, I did all the things I was supposed to. Why am I not happy? It's just, man, it's just so crazy. Uh, uh, I know a couple, I'll call them Heath and Sherry. And Heath and Sherry had a, a really interesting relationship. It's kind of quirky and fun, and they, they did, a, it was built around doing weird things together. They get married, and then they have kids. You know, and two kids later, it was like, you know, it, it just, what it did is it, it revealed, like COVID revealed, all of the things that they didn't have in their relationship, right? Right. That they had actually built a relationship more on denial of their real selves than who they really were. And so that came, I think, I think one of the things that's really common uh, in people's lives is that you live uh, through your eight, you know, your teens, and then you make all these big decisions of what you think is going to make you happy. And then in your twenties, you pursue, you know, career and love and money and relationships, all these things that are going to put you on a great trajectory. Right. And then you hit your thirties and in your thirties is when you start dealing with all of the shortcomings of what happened in your life. Preach, Pastor. <laughs> As a thirty-something-year-old, I'm I'm feeling some of these yeah, words really. that you're saying. Yeah, and so it's really interesting because you don't really start dealing with you know who you really are until you're in your thirties, and of course that's when your kids are young and your career is, you know, you're having to push through stuff and your financial decisions of your late teen and early twenties come back to haunt that's you. That's when you make the best decisions in life, <laughs> Pastor Tuck. So what people don't realize is that the roles we play in society, you know, the, the paths we take are an outgrowth of a archetype or a universal axiom. Now, I know that sounds kind of abstract, but let me explain it. There is a symbiotic relationship. There is a causal relationship by the roles that we pursue, meaning the the identity we pursue and who we are, like what am I going to do, how am I going to make money, who I love, who am I sexually attracted to, do I want kids, all of those types of practical questions about life are is considered a role. You're adopting a role. Right. But those roles uh, are directly and symbiotically related to these axiomatic truths of life. Okay. And so when we try to separate role from the truths of the reality in which we live, life becomes incredibly senseless. And so that's what our society is doing is it's proposing these ideologies that give you a way to live your life. Like, well, who should I have sex with and who should I be in love with? And, and how do I, what do I do with my kids when I have them? How do I treat them? And, and how do I make money and who's going to help you know, is it somebody else's responsibility to support me because I live in this society that's so wealthy? And, you know, how does all this work? Well, these are ideologies that are being propagated in our society. And what they're doing is they are manipulating the roles that are available to people. And those are falling in direct contradiction to the realities of life. And because of that, people are discovering senselessness. When people unknowingly adopt these principles into their life, their life becomes absolutely senseless. All right. That makes sense (laughs) about senselessness. 
Yes, but but it's, <laughs> it's a little abstract. So little abstract. can you give me give me a little give me some specifics? Well, uh, your family, you know. Okay, so let's say you grew up in a family, right? And your family uh, struggled, you know. Maybe your mom uh, struggled with alcoholism, or your dad struggled with alcoholism, or maybe not. Maybe they were just good people, but they weren't in love, so they get divorced, and then they you know pursue other relationships kind of things like that. And so everyone has a family, right? Well, when family's done poorly, everyone suffers. This is just, this is, nobody doubts this. This is not a debatable fact in research today when they research families. And that is when the marital relationship is not good, everybody in the family, the kids suffer. Uh, no matter how much people say, uh, well, we got divorced because we just couldn't get along and we didn't want to stay together for the kids because, you know, anger so toxic. And, and so it, it doesn't matter what your reason are unless they're very specific things like drug addiction, child abuse, stuff like that. Uh, right. The bottom line is, is that children of divorce do worse on every social indicator across the board. Right. You know, and so... There's no altruistic, I hear this statement a lot about how, well, kids are resilient. They'll, no, they'll, they're not. They'll be better. It'll, <laughs> they'll figure it out. They'll figure it out. They'll adjust. No, they, they adapt. And then when they're 30, they have to deal with all this stuff that comes out in their lives. Right. <laughs> and they don't realize it. But, but what happens is most of what is being propagated in our society today undermines the family. When the family does well, the kids do well. And when the kids do well, Society does well. And what's happening is all of these ideologies, I know they're abstract, and I know that some people are like, oh, you know, uh, can't you just be a little bit more concrete? Well, the problem is, is that it is not more Christian to be stupid. Hit me with that one more time. <laughs> it is not Christian to be stupid. Like blind faith, blind decision. Not blind faith, no, not, not blind, just... I don't want to know. I don't, uh, that, uh, I just need practicality every day. I just need this, you know, three steps. Well, it doesn't matter if you treat the symptom without ever treating the cause of what's happening. And what the okay. cause of what is happening is that in our society, there are these ideologies that directly contradict how to have a strong and healthy family. And these are designed to elicit direction and control over society at large. For instance, Karl Marx believed a societal utopia could not be achieved without eliminating the nuclear family. Okay? There's no way. So uh, Rashad Turner, who is the president and executive director of the Minnesota Parent Union, which is a Black Lives Matter organization, just resigned. He helped found it, and he resigned, and this is what he said. Black Lives Matter, as an organization, has no desire to rebuild the black family or improve education to help black families. Mm. So in, originally, in the Black Lives Matter uh, website, they've since scrubbed it, but for the longest period of time, they said in there is that our goal is to eradicate the nuclear family. So why would somebody believe something so sinister and so evil when all scientific evidence, you know, if you want to follow the science, the science is unequivocal in the nuclear family is the most important uh, functioning cell of all society. And when it's eliminated, all society breaks down. 
And kids grow up not as intelligent, not as innovative, not as courageous, not as confident. Uh, they have all these issues and problems. And so, but that was, that's Marxism. That's what he wanted to do because he felt that it was a hindrance. The other thing too is that he wanted to destroy any and all faith because all faith should be in the state, 100%. Believe in the government. Believe in the government. The government will solve all your problems. And of course, if you remember Ronald Reagan, he ran on a platform. He goes, he says, I don't believe that government can solve the problem. I believe government is the problem. Mm. And because governments are simply bureaucracies filled with human beings and human beings are what? Perfect. They are robotic, moral, pure cogs (laughs) cogs that always make perfect decisions. Right. Well, no, you'd get all that combined together. You throw all that power in there and Lord Acton's thing comes true. And that is power corrupts and absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. You see this over and over again. So uh, the number one factor in educating your kids and all the research says this, the number one factor that makes a difference in how well your kid will do in school is their family. Mm. It's, it's parental involvement right here in Idaho. I don't know if people are aware of this, but in McCall, they have a public high school up there. It is the number one ranked high school in the state of Idaho. And it has the highest academics, it has performance, it has the highest uh, across the board in all indicators. And so I was talking to uh, Bob Locken, who was on the governor's task force for education to improve it. He owns some tech companies and he's like, look, we've got to get people more technically astute or we're not going to have a labor force for where... Everything's, everything's going. going. And so he's very involved with education on the governor's task force for years. He was a high consultant with uh, Boise State University. He has a lot of influence over the policy in Idaho. And he was sharing with me when we were chatting how the number one reason that that school in McCall does so well is because it has the highest level of parental involvement. Mm. So when, when you have a family that is strong and you have a family that is healthy, then the number one thing that happens is education improves. There is no non-relational, there is no non-personal structure that you can create that will produce a high level of educated kids. You have to have the family unit involved, okay? Well, the problem is I know we talk about postmodernism and we talk about deconstructionism and we talk about all these other things and people are, you know, critical race theory and uh, the Frankfurt School of Social Theory and all these types of things. And what people don't realize is that these uh, gender, these, I, these general ideologies that they talk about and they mm. debate have filtered down into society. They build law around it. And as the uh, economic guys who wrote the books, Freakonomics says, everybody makes decisions each and every day based on incentives. So it creates an incentive environment that has an outcome. And the outcome is the exact opposite of what creates a healthy, strong, and powerful society and healthy and strong nuclear families, healthy and strong marriages, and healthy and strong kids. So I know sometimes I sound abstract, but let me tell you, in everyday living, what's going on will impact you like never before. Well, and I think it's really interesting. You talk about the 
really it all does come back to family. And we kind of alluded to this yeah. on Tuesday a little bit of who you are and who, you know, the family you have growing up makes a huge impact on who yes, you become, does. right? Yes. There's, there's outlying things and things that you choose not to do specifically because of your family. So that doesn't mean, you know, if your family was poor, you'll always be poor. Like that's not how it works. Correct. But the way you think about the world, the way you interpret the world and the way the, what you believe about yourself, those are primarily decided when you're young and then you're just constantly fighting an uphill battle at that point to change anything after you know age 18 or whatever because your family has such a distinct impact so if your family's healthy and thriving and they're involved then you're going to have a healthy thriving involved life anything outside of that you're going to be fighting a battle you're trying Mm -hmm. to put things back together that doesn't mean it's necessarily everyone's turning into a serial killer that didn't have enough love as a child but it does mean that there is some things that you have to deal with right Mm -hmm. and so i think that's so important that when we hear these different groups talking about well you don't need a nuclear family the family's not important Mm -hmm. you need to focus on what the state can do for you it's like you're 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 setting us up for failure there's already enough of that going on and there's Mm -hmm. enough people that are upset and traumatized and having issues why are we encouraging more of that right yeah right so with that being said let's you know you move out of the the house eventually about 94 percent of people eventually Mm -hmm. get married right they fall in love they get married how do these ideologies affect our ability to have meaningful long-lasting love (laughs) well i think the the calling of the human heart is this, and this is when I was talking about the reality of what we're living in. And the reality is simply this, is that every human heart desires and is driven for deep longing love for women. This presents in a way that's different than men, but it is the same calling of the human heart. Let's call it your soul. And these ideologies today are in direct conflict with what your deepest heart desires. So, for instance, deconstructionism. Uh, Most people don't realize that we've been taught to think in a certain way, and that is a deconstructionist way. Without going into it too deeply, I just want you to understand that deconstructionism is the notion that, well, I'll pick something apart in its basic you know, I'll, I'll break it down into its very rudimentary parts and find the flaws in it. And right. that is going to tell me why it can't be true. So deconstructionism has as its uh, outset a bias. And that is, well, if I break it down far enough, I'm going to find imperfect imperfection, which of course is true about just anything in the, in the world because the world is imperfect. But take that way of thinking and then try to figure out how to fall in love and discover authentic love in your life. If you have to break everything down to eventually find the flaw. Yeah. And throw it out. My, yeah. <laughs> so if you meet somebody and you know, you do one of two things, right. And that is, is that, uh, you, you approach it from a naive perspective. And so you deny all the red flags, you deny the lack of chemistry, you deny the lack of compatibility, the personality cohesion, you lack communic- the, the lack of, you deny the lack of communication, the inability to resolve conflict, how you manage money. You deny all that stuff and you say, all we need is love, man. All we need is love and love is love. You it's know? like there's a song for that or something. Yeah, all we need is love. And uh, what happens then is that it just comes crashing down. And because as soon as there are problems, where you can't resolve conflict or you can't do this or you can't communicate, then what you do is you make an assumption, right? And this is what deconstructionism does to people. You assume, well, we were never in love. Well, we're not meant for each other. 
Okay. Well, see, that's deconstructionist way of thinking, and that's where it ends up. So what happens is every time you fall in love and it, it crashes and burns, what you do is you, you how do you ever fall, find real love? Right. You see, so it, it doesn't create love and it doesn't create an assurance that you'll find love. What it does is it creates a way of thinking that always undermines your capacity to fall in love and be in love. Mm. Or the other side of the exact same coin of deconstructionism is this, is that it, it creates really high expectations. And then what you do is you meet somebody and then you're like, yeah, I, I'm going to deconstruct them. So yeah, they're, they're, they're good on paper. Yeah. They're good this way. They have high character. We, we were really, really good friends, but I just don't feel that, you know, sweep me off my feet or I just don't feel the, that thing, you know, that is uh, okay. Well then that, that those ladies go and marry the bad boy. And then four years later, they're in my office crying about how horrible their life is. You know, <laughs> it's kind of like this. I heard a comedian say, you know, women, I don't get them. You know, they say, I want the strong silent type. And then three years later, they want to divorce him because he never talks. <laughs> well, what did you think? What did you think was going to happen? <laughs> but the issue here is this, is that deconstructionism teaches us a way of thinking that interferes with our capacity to fall in love and find true love. And that's the heart out of which I'm, I'm teaching these things and sharing these things is because I want people to be in love. I want people to have great love, great lives. I believe deconstructionism. I believe that uh, the Frankfurt School of Social Theory, neo-Marxism, communism, socialism. I believe postmodernism. I believe scientific materialism, secular humanism are all the things that destroy you as a human being. And all we have to do is look at history to see the impact of this, all of these ideologies over and over and over again. So uh, what what happens in deconstructionist uh, relationships is that when you fall in love with somebody, this is the final thing it does. You fall in love with somebody and when you like, man, I want to get married because they're unique and special and um, I'm mature enough. I have my eyes wide open. And then that relationship establishes expectations and expectations and relationships are not bad. Right. Necessarily. But when expectations are coupled with deconstructionism, your relationship is toast because you're thinking in a certain way, perceiving in a certain way that always creates unrealistic expectations and unrealistic expectations always go unmet 100% of the time. When an expectation is unmet in your life, you will be hurt. This hurts your heart. There's no way around it. It's Bottom line, that's the way it works. If you uh, have an uh, unmet expectation, it creates hurt. Deconstructionism causes you to turn that hurt into resentment in the blink of an eye. And Mm. resentment is the number one killer of intimacy in all relationships. It is the number one killer of you finding the meaning and purpose of your life. It is the number one way to suck all the joy out of your life. Resentment is the number one thing that stops you from ever being able to develop and bond with another human being. And so the end is what's happening in our culture today is in the souls of every human being, people are more empty, more lonely, and more isolated than ever before. So... I mean, I'm seeing this in, I mean, I'm still single, so I'm still dating. I'm seeing this populate throughout most of my generation. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're seeing people, I have friends that are just like, you know, I was with this person, but they're just, 
they they did this one thing and so they can't be the one. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> they or, did this one thing. Yeah. I mean, but it's sometimes <laughs> it comes down to that. I mean, it yeah. comes down to, you know, they have this one annoying tick and it's like, yeah. well, I can't live with that for the rest of my life. They That's only not the tip one. 10%. They yeah. don't tip 15%. Yeah. yeah. Now it's different to have the one tick like, you know, they murder puppies or something. Yeah. Now, that, that, one, that, that one does matter. <laughs> that matters. Okay. That one does matter. But the, I mean, the other thing too is like, we see these fantasy versions of perfect love and, you yeah. know, my yes. generation grew up yep. on videos and movies yes. and so we see these depictions of what a perfect relationship is supposed to be and we yes. all say we want that yes. we want that relationship and it's going to come along one day we're going to find that person that just everything's just great all the time yes even though the movies we love to watch the most are the ones where you know they have issues throughout <laughs> most of it and then they end up together anyway yes. so it's very it's a very weird it's concept. a very weird thing <laughs> Our brains are a little melted. We've watched a lot of TV yeah. as millennials. But, I mean, talk to me about how these ideologies affect families raising their children. Yeah. Well, I, you know, um, when you come together and you have an ideology that's, that's uh, influenced the pattern of how you think, it's definitely going to then be passed on to your children. And this is what is commonly known as an issue of disassociation, Okay. Now, disassociation, let me explain it real quick. In uh, psychiatry and in psychology, disassociation is what happens when somebody suffers a trauma when, in their childhood, you know, pretty severe child right. Right, trauma, like a child abuse or sexual assault or death or some, you know, massive car wreck and lots of people died. So what happens is as they get older, they disassociate from their feelings. They disassociate from their identity. And so they call this a disassociation disorder. And that's the kind of the, the mental you know, diagnosis. Well, there is a massive increase in disassociation disorder right now, even among people who don't suffer trauma in their childhood. And the reason why is because of all these ideologies. Mm. Th this is manifesting itself because our society is attempting to teach kids to build a human identity around something that you can't build a human identity around. You cannot do it. The number one thing that happens uh, in destroying the nuclear family right now is uh, beside, I mean, up there at the top is deconstructing this way of thinking. But the one thing that really hits families more than anything else and has a meltdown is the values of the sexual revolution. Mm. And the values of the se sexual revolution are are woven into our own values now as Americans. And so what happens is the more these values are fanned, the less the nuclear family stays together and is healthy, you know, because like you were saying, people get together, they find something annoying, they don't have skills. And so what they do is, Oh, they meet somebody else and Oh man, I'm so happy now. I'm so happy now. And, and then of course they that get lasts the honeymoon phase. And yeah. Then so that lasts for a few years and then they're done, you know, kind of a done thing there. And so uh, the bottom line is, is this, is that when you try to build an identity as a human being around something that cannot give you an identity, that is going to really be a problem. And mm. that's what disassociation is doing. And uh, it's, it's uh, attempting to get young people in particular to build a identity around their sexual attraction or their sexual orientation, mm. you see. So uh, 
this is why you see a movement in America right now to have transgenderism and homosexuality and sexual orientation and gender identity taught to people at a younger and younger and younger age. Mm. Now, what I think is, is interesting is that what most people say is that, uh, I, you know, uh, I, I read a book by a gal by the name of Abigail Shire, and she went and talked to all of her extremely liberal political friends, okay? Right. And all their liberal political friends said the same thing over and over again in this book, and, and that was is that it, it's not that I'm opposed or want to see any laws against people expressing their freedom, you know, to, to have same-sex marriage or this is a... I just don't want my six-year-old talking about it because my six-year-old is six. Right. Now, when they hit puberty and they start having sexual thoughts, that's the appropriate time maybe to discuss it. Right. So, so why in the world would there be a movement in, our, in America that's actually infiltrated our schools that tries to expose kids as young as six and seven years old to sexual identities? Well, they're trying to create disassociation and they're trying to sexualize kids so that now they have a framework of thinking so that when they do enter puberty, where do they hang all of their emotions and feelings and thoughts and hormones to all of that? Boom. To what the, the pre framework that's already been put in their brain. So that's what happens. It, 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 it's manifesting itself in the transgender movement today. And that is, this is the point where uh, it's to the point where women and being a woman is no longer a unique identity. Right. You see, because if gender is a social contract and has nothing to do with biology, then it makes perfect sense that a person can disassociate from what they are into what they want to be. And if you stand in the way of disassociation, then you become morally wrong or you are immoral. And this is already happening in Virginia. Uh, Tanner Cross was a coach and he was required by the Virginia school board to to bring in transgendered athletes into onto his different teams and then use the pronouns for them. And he said, I can't do that because it's not, it's not the truth. It's not the reality. Um, these kids, I love these kids. They need help. They don't need to be enabled and lied to that. They can be something they can never be. Cause that's just going to create more psychological issues for them later on. So they put him on a leave of absence and they're trying to fire him for saying mm. that, uh, which isn't surprising because in 2019, uh, a teacher called Peter Vlaming, he was fired because he wouldn't use the pronouns that people uh, asked him to use for various students. I, I think it's important to see that the mission of higher education in universities was corrupted in the 90s. If you'd like an in-depth thing, there's a, a, a documentary on YouTube you can watch. It's called Indoctrinate You. Uh, and it looks like a university logo, you know, and it says Indoctrinate, and then it has a big letter U on it. And they went through, and they had these external research firms go in and study all the data, and they showed how what's happening now in universities since the 90s is they've become leftist. Not, it's not Democrat-Republican. It's not liberal-conservative. It's progressive leftism, which, which you have all these ideologies of postmodernism, deconstructionism, scientific materialism, secular humanism, neo-Marxism, social uh, theory from the Frankfurt School, critical race theory, gender studies, transgenderism, all of these types of ideologies are being propagated in the university and is so infected it that that is the main mission now is to get people, students to go so that they can be 
influenced by these ideologies. Why do you think Bernie Sanders wants college to be free? Because he wants every single young person to go so that he can indoctrinate them with his ideology. That's why he wants it happening. And he wants it because he knows this is already happening. Well, it was so effective in the 90s and then past 2000 that what's happening now is it is, uh, since 2010, it has been filtering down into the local school uh, uh, public educational systems now. And what happens is the way they stop people from standing up to it is they use... uh, 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 cultural hegemony, which is a attitude of, look, if you oppose us, then there's something wrong with you. You're a racist or you're, you're immoral or you're bad or you're a wacko or you're this, you know, and they, you, they try to label you with these negative terms. And so this is how these ideologies that uh, are big, broad things get filtered down into university, now into public school, and then society at large is using sexual uh, temptation and promiscuity to ultimately undermine the nuclear family to the point where it doesn't even exist anymore. And all I can say is that uh, I'm not a prophet or the son of a prophet, but I can tell you this, you won't have a nation anymore once that happens. Mm. Well, those are some deep things to think about for sure as we uh-huh. go into this weekend. Um, we're going to wrap up for today, but um, Pastor Harv's preaching this week. Yes. So he's going to be um, finishing up talking about this third chapter in First John um, and giving his own spin on it. So that's really exciting to, to look towards. But I encourage you guys to have some conversations about what you heard today. Um, uh, Pastor Doug shared a lot with us, so hopefully (laughs) you guys have some food for thought for going into the weekend. So thank you guys so much for joining us here on The Salty Pastor, and we'll see you here on Sunday at Foothills Church in Boise. (laughs) Signing off, everyone.